0: Yogi Berra said, it's 90% mental, the other half is physical. My name is Ryan LaVarnway, Major League Catcher and Minor League Grinder, and I've spent the last 15 years playing professional baseball while evolving my mindset. I'm fascinated by optimizing that 90%. In this show, I'll talk to elite athletes and mindset coaches about what makes them tick and how they've overcome obstacles in their own careers on the way to finding success. This is Finding the Way. This is Ryan Lavarnoy. I am so excited today to be joined by Jimmer Fredette. If you don't know Jimmer Fredette because you live under a rock, he was the 2011 NTAA Division I Scoring Title Winner and National Player of the Year. He was the 10th overall pick in the NBA draft, has played six seasons in the NBA and four seasons over in the China Basketball League, including winning the MVP. Um, Amazing basketball player. Jimmer, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. I appreciate you letting me have letting me come on and chat.
0: Obviously, you are a just amazing basketball player. President Obama called you the best scorer in the country. Kevin Durant called you the best scorer in the world. Right now, <laughs> your nickname in, in the China Basketball League is the Lonely God because you have no peers. <laughs> when did you know that you were an exceptionally good basketball player?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. It took a lot of uh, took a lot of hard work. Um, you know, if you look at me and you see me, you wouldn't think basketball player. You know what I mean? If you just saw me on the street, walking around, I just looked like a normal guy, not very tall, didn't look super athletic or anything. Um, but I definitely had a great work ethic right from the get-go. And I had a talent for sure to be able to shoot the basketball. Like ever since I was really young, that was something that I was just for some reason really good at. I could shoot, you know, three-pointers when I was like five, six years old and make them. And people are like, oh, just to have the strength to be able to do that, but then be able to see the ball go in consistently. A lot of it had to do with my brother who was seven years older than me. I had to play with him and all of his friends a lot of times growing up. So I had to shoot from the outside to score, or else they'd block my shot all the time. So because of it, I was shooting outside and uh, kind of got that talent and then just kept kept working at it because I really loved the game of basketball, and I think that was one of the biggest things.
0: I think anybody that grows up playing sports kind of notices that the youngest of the siblings has to kind of play over their size, play over their age to keep up with the older siblings. Were you the youngest in your family?
1: Yeah, I had an older sister, nine years old, older brother, that's seven. And then I was the baby. So I was the baby by quite a a bit. So I was always hanging out with older kids.
0: You think that played a big role? Like just the fact that you were always playing with bigger, stronger kids, you always were the underdog. Was that a mentality that you tried to keep moving forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a big thing. You know, like I said, I was hanging out with my brother a lot. He was, he, a lot of older brothers would be like, no, I don't want my, you know, seven-year-old younger brother hanging around my you know high school age kids playing you know doing all this stuff, but he was amazing and let me play with him on his team when we went to the park. I would play on his team and play against all of these older athletes, and you know he would always help me, but I think he saw something in me at a young age. he's like, this kid's competitive, he likes to play, and he has some talent so i'm like he's like hey, i'm gonna try to help him out as best as I could, so I appreciated that from him and from my family. But I always had that kind of you know chip on my shoulder. Like uh, I didn't matter who it was. I wasn't really nervous or scared to play anybody because I was always playing up. So then when I played against kids my age or even a couple years older, it was didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. Um, you know, so I always definitely had that mentality.
0: Something you said right there reminded me of something else in your biography that's very interesting. You said you weren't afraid no matter who you played because you had played with pl- people that were older than you. You also played against prison inmates. Can yeah. you tell me how that kinda of came about and, and how that helped you in your career?
1: Yeah, for sure. It was it was interesting. The our next door neighbor, their their uncle, ran the, the wreck part of the, the prison. So, you know, all the guys that were on good behavior, they let him go out and play, you know, softball, whatever it was. And one of the things they wanted to do was play basketball. And obviously he knew my family was big into basketball, loved playing. We had a lot of people that would go play and everything. So my brother... At, or the, the their uncle asked my brother, hey, do you want to go play? in um, the prisons get some guys and play against some guys' with good behavior. And we're just like, my brother's like, yeah, sure, of course. And Jimmer, you're coming along. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, <laughs> I wasn't, I don't even know if I was technically legal to be in the prison at that time playing. I was only 16. I had to get parental guidance. I have my father come in and everything. And For those couple of years we played uh, you know a few times a year um, against some of the inmates and it was i mean it was definitely intimidating you walk through straight through the yard everybody's watching then you get to the gym and they actually let inmates come in and and watch so they'd come in and watch and you'd have you know all four security guards with guns you know obviously on all four corners and uh, you know the inmates were in there and they were pretty rowdy most of the time they wanted the inmates to win until they saw us play and then they'd bet and they'd be like, no, I want the other team to win. I'm, I'm betting on them uh, to win. So it was, it was fun. I definitely, when you got fouled, you didn't say anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, help them up, help you know, kind of just mind your own business. Uh, you heard some funny stuff, uh, obviously, but uh, you know, it definitely helps with mindset of being like, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm playing against San Diego State or in Madison Square Garden or wherever it is. You're just like, you know. It doesn't seem as bad as as intimidating as going into a prison and playing.
0: Yeah, I bet that made you pretty fearless.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Um, so, so you you had these amazing developmental opportunities, uh, both with playing with your older siblings and and with playing against intimidation. When did you make the transition from being developed to being a star in your own right?
1: I would say probably well my my freshman year of high school is kind of when I started to turn a corner of when I was like hey I think I could really you know do something here and uh, really make some noise and be able to get you know a division one scholarship and be able to go you know play basketball somewhere um, you know freshman year I, I'm from a really small high school so I was playing uh, varsity my freshman year, and actually, three of my friends that were freshmen were on the varsity team. There was only like nine guys on our team at that point, and four of us were like freshmen. So we were kind of just playing from that point, but we actually did really well that season, had a good year, and I was able to, you know, start towards the end of the season and really make some noise you know, in our conference and, the you know, sectionals and the regional championships and everything. And I knew from that point on, I was like, I have the talent to do it. I played against some really great competition in travel basketball leagues all over the country. Um, you know, I, I'm going to really, you know, put all my effort into this to, to get a division one scholarship and go. And uh, my dream was always to play in the NBA ever since I was young. That's, that's really what I wanted to do and, you know, put my mind to it.
0: So, so talk me through when you, you talked about you rounded a corner, was there was there a coach or a mentor that you had that that said something that maybe that that like was a light bulb moment? Or was it the fact that you were just playing and you were like, now I'm now I'm good enough? Was there something yeah. that, that helped make that transition for you?
1: Honestly, I think it was just, you know, myself. I always had an internal belief that I was going to make it and reach my goal, make it into the NBA. And honestly, I didn't have a, a plan B. I had a plan A and that was it. And, you know, I I think that's a really powerful thing. Uh, Maybe it was naive at my, you know, for me to be able to have at that that age and that, you know, at at the level I was playing at, where I was playing at, you know, the small school and all that stuff. But I truly believed it and uh, I worked hard for it every day. And what I like to do is I like to set goals for myself. When I set them, I like to write them down and look at them every day kind of have the power of that being able to see it and think about it throughout the day and when you go to sleep but I think as I was continuing to hit my goals I knew that I was moving towards my ultimate goal and I think that that was a a big mindset thing for me and be like all right if I can win you know this championship or win MVP of this tournament or you know be able to play you know and, and do this well in this season you know whatever it was trying to hit those intermediate goals helped me feel like I was accomplishing going to that next ultimate goal. Cause it was, seemed like it was so far away.
0: Talk to me about goal setting. You said you were hitting small intermediate goals along the way. Did you purposefully try to make goals that were achievable uh, on the way to the yes. bigger goal?
1: Yeah, I definitely wanted to make them achievable, but I also wanted to make them difficult. You know what I mean? Like uh, something that I felt like I could achieve, but also um, not something too easy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Can you becoming, give me an example. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, you know, play, becoming player of the year in, in my conference when I was a sophomore, you know what I mean, in high school, being like, hey, I want to win. I want to be the best player in my conference and I want to make it to the sectional finals, you know, those types of things. Like, I want to do that. And you we were able to do both of those things. Um, you know, like when I was a junior in college, a good example is I, I wanted to be, for some reason, this popped in my head before the season, I want to be a third team All-American when I was a junior in in college and I ended up being a third team All-American junior in college and then the next year I was like alright now I want to go from National Player of the Year and then fortunately I was able to be National Player of the Year you know so I, I knew that I could reach these goals but they're not they weren't super easy you know they weren't right. like necessarily but I was I knew that if I could go out there and play the way that I should that I they were obtainable and that's what I wanted to do and I knew if I could hit those goals I was definitely going towards my ultimate goal
0: when you set these goals, did you tell anyone else about them or was it kind of your private goal that you had with yourself?
1: For me, they were private. I like to do it privately. Um, I don't love to tell people exactly what I'm trying to, to strive for. Now, some people, it does work that way. They, they put pressure on themselves, say, hey, I'm going to try to tell as many people as I can. I'll put pressure on myself to reach this goal. For me, I always had an internal and in a really internal drive that I had More of an expectation for myself than others did i think anyway so i was like i'm gonna try to do this and prove it to you know myself and then everyone else that i could do this but i uh, you know mostly just kept them to myself
0: yeah okay very i i mean it's i love getting into the mind of people that have had just unimaginably wild success and so thank you so much for sharing with me um when you were at byu you broke had you broke 11 school records and six conference records on your way to the division one scoring title you were the 10th overall pick in the draft like i already said when you got to the nba you became more of a role player than than a star player uh, like you had been in college yep. being in different roles on a team it's difficult can yep. you talk me through the mindset shift there
1: yeah no for sure it's definitely a mindset shift um i went from being the top of the world like feeling better than i could ever imagine and you know na- a national player of the year sweet 16 you know on every TV station, an article and everything, and then you get to the NBA and no one cares. No one cares, they almost hold it against you. They wanna beat you because of that, Um, you know, and I think that you go to that and then you have to completely flip your mindset. Okay, I know that I wasn't starting, you know, I I may not be the leading scorer on this team. What can I do to help the team? What can I do to help myself get on the floor? Um, And, you know, you have to kind of shift your mindset of like, all right, if I'm gonna come off the bench, how do I prepare myself for a game? Like, how do I, you know, what do I eat before the game? How do I, what's my routine before the game to warm up, to get myself prepared? Because I know that I'm not going right in right away. It's, you know, you're going to wait for another eight minutes after you warm up to get yourself prepared to get back into the game. How do you mentally prepare for that? All these things kind of come into your your mind once you start getting into these roles. And uh, you you find a routine eventually, but it took me a while, honestly. You know, it took me a while. The first year was was not easy. It was it was difficult um, just because of uh, not being in that situation for a while, um, but also, you know, organizationally things were kind of in flux and there was a lot of stuff going on. And so there's a lot of things that can kind of throw you off your game. You just have to really try to focus in on what you need to do on a daily basis, what's your routine, what's going to make you prepare yourself to be ready to go, whether you're playing 30 minutes or five minutes, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people can relate to that because almost everybody in the world is going to reach a point where they're not the star player in, in whatever they're doing. You know, the, the Kobe Bryant, the Michael Jordan are the, are the only ones that never get to that point. Yeah, can you can you share maybe one thing that you learned that did help you prepare for the new role that you took
1: on? I think the best best thing the best. Piece of advice in that situation: you just gotta control what you can control. And I could always control my mindset, my my attitude, um, my work ethic, and um, if I was happy or not. And those types of things are the things that I could control. I couldn't control if I was playing or not, if I got traded or not, if the team liked me or not. Like, there's a lot of things that I couldn't control, but I could control, you know, me going in before practice every day to work on my game with one of the managers that was, you know, assigned to me. I could go in and I could work on my game every day so I could feel like I was preparing myself the best way that I could. You know, I could get to practice early. You know, I could leave late, watch film. I could get with the coaching staff. You know, I could be a good person. I could be a good teammate. I could be in the weight room. I could do all of these things. And those are the things that I started to kind of focus my mindset on. I, I wish I would have done that probably earlier in my career. Um, you know, instead of worrying about other things, worry about those things that I could focus on. And then from there, you just let whatever plays out, play out. You can't let it get into your emotions. Cause if you do, you lose a lot of confidence. Um, you know, you don't play as well as you think you, you can, when you get out there, you're questioning yourself. I think all of that plays into it.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that will echo that, same advice of control what you can control but one thing that you said that i don't hear often is you can control whether you're happy or not and that that's such a that's such a powerful message of taking responsibility for your own happiness and and mindset everything that i've read about you in in preparing to talk to you today talked about your work ethic how hard of a worker you are and so many people talked about uh, i have a quote it said you are fiercely competitive while remaining unassuming and likable and i think (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're obviously super likable in the 15 minutes we've been talking, but I think you taking responsibility for your happiness and, and being a good teammate is such a big part of that.
1: Yeah, it's a huge part of it. I try to tell people like, uh, you know, all the time I, I try and I don't want to let basketball define me as a person you know, that's ultimately for me, that's more important to be a good person, to be kind, to be helpful to others. That's just what my parents kind of instilled into me. Uh, My dad never treated me any differently than anybody else because I was a good basketball player or anything like that. He always wanted me to make sure you treat people the same. Uh, We're all in this together. So I think, you know, for me, that was something that, you know, really caught my attention growing up. And that's the way that I always wanted to be. Um, so at the same time, like there were times, I can't say that I was always perfect at it. There were times where I was down, you know what I mean? There was times where I was really down, but I, I tried to then focus my thing, uh, you know, my mind on things that I could control, but also outside of basketball, my family, my wife and my kids, you know, making sure that I stayed balanced and, uh, didn't have just a, an approach of like, if you didn't play well, you had to be sad. You know what I mean? Like try to keep yourself in good spirits try to keep yourself upbeat. Um, that's not as easy. It's easier said than done you know, at times. Um, but I think once you kind of have that mindset shift, it can kind of help you. I think it helps you on the court because you feel better. You know, honestly, you feel more like yourself. You feel better. You're not really concerned about the outcome, You're concerned about how you're performing and how you're helping your team.
0: Yeah. That's so powerful. More recently, you've played in China for a few years. And you are one of the leaders on your team, even though you had to speak through a translator. Do you speak Chinese now?
1: No, not well. I only speak a little bit. It's tough. You got to really dive into it if you want to you wanna speak really well. So
0: so how is it that you've become such a strong leader on this team, even though you need to speak through a translator? What's your leadership style?
1: Yeah, for me, honestly, it's always been lead by example. Um, for me, I'm not a super over-the-top uh, you know, communicator. Like I'm not going to yell at guys, that type of stuff. I'm much more of an encourager. Um, I'm more like a, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar. With, obviously, I'm sure you're familiar with Steve Nash, but guy that, like, he set the record on most high fives during a season for an NBA player ever. They like tracked it. It was like a <laughs> crazy high fives that he gave people and that's kind of like how I find myself like trying to encourage people trying to give them high fives trying to be like hey it's all right next one's gonna work out you know great shot those types of things Um, but also leading by example by every day I'm in the gym working on my game you know, every day I'm in the gym, you know, asking questions, taking things seriously when need to be serious, but also getting to know my, uh, you know, my teammates on a personal level. I like to go and talk to my Chinese, uh, you know, teammates, whether they speak English or they don't. Try to get to know who they are, try to get to let them know me, know that I actually care about them, that I, you know, care about their families, care about these things. Cause I feel like if you have that type of camaraderie, they'll listen to you more and they'll want to play for you harder. You know, unless it's set, instead of someone who's just aloof and kind of just off on his own and not talking. Because you can easily get like that, especially in a country like China, uh, where they don't speak the language and you're kind of just doing your own thing. You put your headphones in and you walk to practice and you do it and then you leave and you don't worry about anything else. It's easy to be able to get into that. But I try to make a conscious effort to be able to talk to guys and off the court, be able to hang out with them, go eat with them, do different things like that um, to show interest. I think that's huge in a leadership for them to be able to respect you, but then going out and performing at your best. And if you're putting in a hundred percent effort and they aren't, they're going to end up feeling bad be like, Hey, I need to, I need to pick it up. And I think that's, um, the contagious.
0: It's almost like, um, you guilt them into working harder by working so hard yourself. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. You know, that type of a, that type of mentality, like you're working hard. And a lot of times I'll be out there working and You know, my Chinese teammates will come and they'll want to work out with me and they'll be like, all right, what do I do here? How do you do this move? Those types of things, um, which I love you guys being able to come and ask me questions and and want to get better. Um, And I think that team camaraderie helps.
0: You talk about teaching them your moves. You also spend a lot of time on your social media channels, especially on your TikTok, sharing moves. You do contests, uh, you, you teach drills. If you could talk to a 10, 12, 14-year-old that has big dreams and wants to accomplish some of the things you've accomplished, what's the one thing that you would tell them?
1: I think the the biggest thing for me is that you have to love the game. Um, There's a lot of kids out there that, you know, they may not want to they may be forced to practice or they may be like hey you got to go out and you got to practice today if you want to get good or you know and i think for me my dad never once was like hey jimmy you got to go practice it was like i want to go practice." practice dad can you come with me to go practice or my brother you know what i mean yeah. if you have that love for the game and you truly want to get better then you'll end up getting better. You'll put your, you'll put your 100% effort into it every single day. Whereas if someone's trying to force you to do it. So one thing is you got to make it fun. You got to make practicing and dribbling and these workouts, um, you know, you got to make it fun. You can't just be doing the same thing every single day, the mundane things. That, you know, especially when you're younger and all of a sudden, you know, you get into it where you're like, man, I just don't want to practice today. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Now, there's days that, of course, you're going to feel like that as you go through it. But when you're younger, it should be fun. And uh, it, it, and I think, I truly believe that if you have it, that type of mentality and love the game and really, really want to get better on your own, then you're going to be, reach your potential.
0: That's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your mindset, your leadership style, your advice. Jimmer Media is alive in my heart right now. (laughs) I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much.
1: No problem, Ryan. This was fun. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Finding the Way. I'm Ryan LaVarnway, and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jimmer Fredette as much as I enjoyed talking to him. I loved how we talked about being fearless on the court and how he leads with encouragement. Subscribe now to get updated on future episodes as I talk with more elite athletes and mindset coaches on this season of Finding the Way. See you next time.